I'm going to give you a few statements here this morning, and I want you to think about what these phrases have in common. It's my only choice. It's pretty ugly. I'll have the jumbo shrimp. You'll need an original copy of your birth certificate. The silence was deafening. What do those things have in common? The silence was deafening. They're all oxymorons, right? They all are figures of speech that contain apparent contradictory terms. Only choice. Pretty ugly. Jumbo shrimp. Original copy. This morning we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that has become, come to be known by that little title that in Jesus' day would have been considered an oxymoron. That it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan? Those things don't go together. That doesn't make any sense. That, that, that just can't be. Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And today we're going to spend some time looking at one of Jesus' more well-known parables. Last week, we started a very difficult and yet needed conversation about how the people of God should respond to some of the racial tensions that have resurfaced and the division that has been re-exposed in our world and culture today. We want to understand and yet uh, we, we want to also get involved in taking action as the hands and feet of Jesus representing him in this world. And the reality is that we may not have all of the answers. We may not be able to fix all of the problems. We, we may not be able to do everything perfectly right, but we need to press into these issues. We must be involved. And so the hope here is that uh, at least to begin to look at what God's word does and what it, God's word says in addressing some of the hurt and some of the pain, some of the division that is present in our world today as it relates to racial tensions. Uh, as I've thought about some of these things, my mind has gone back to one of Jesus' more famous stories that he gives in his ministry, the story of the Good Samaritan. And in this story, I think that we find principles that can help to guide us today. So your Bible's open, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to begin by reading verse 25. Here is what it says. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Here's this guy who has spent the majority of his life studying the finer points of the Old Testament. And he says to himself, what is the point of knowing all that I know if everyone else doesn't know that I know it? And so he baits Jesus into this debate by asking Jesus a question that he hopes he won't be able to answer. And then he will jump in and answer this question and everyone will be impressed by how much he knows. And the question is this, if I want to live forever and be right with God, which of the commandments is most important for me to keep? Wow, that's a tough question. And by the way, the question would have been extremely important to all the people who were standing around Jesus that day. Because for the Jews, they had hundreds and hundreds of laws that they had to keep. 
And by the time that Jesus showed up on the scene, the religious leaders had added hundreds and hundreds of more laws and rules for them to keep as well. And many of the Jewish people were living, who were living during that time, uh, they struggled with this intense, intense paranoia about whether they had broken a particular law or not. Like, you know what, yesterday I was over at someone's house and I ate something there and I'm not sure I might have violated rule 432. And while I was helping my mom carry in groceries into the house, I may have violated rule 587. And I'm a little bit worried right now about whether God might let me into heaven or not because I've done something wrong to keep me at a distance from him. And so this question would have mattered of all the hundreds and hundreds of rules. Which one matters most in order that I might be able to spend eternity in heaven with God? The question is, Jesus, you're a good teacher. You're a great teacher. So I want to to know, I want you to sort through the hundreds and hundreds of laws, and then I want you to tell us which law matters most to God. And I just imagine this religious expert saying to himself, I know what it is, but what I want to know is, do you know what it is? Now, Jesus is not interested in some popularity contest, and so he gives the guy the moment in, in all of this. He says, you know what, listen, you win. The stage is yours. You're the expert. So why don't you tell us the answer to that question? Verse 26 says, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And I imagine this guy saying, well, I don't mean to show off or anything like that, but if you want me to answer the question, well, here it is. This is the big one. Verse 27. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This expert gets it right, and Jesus affirms his answer in verse 28 by saying to the man, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. The hundreds and hundreds of laws can all be summed up in this one law of laws, this rule of rules, this command of commands. Love God with everything that you have, and love your neighbor the way that you love yourself, and you will live. In that moment, though, it's almost as if this religious expert experiences this wave of disappointment as you read on in this story. Because he he had come for an argument, but he didn't get one. Wait, Jesus, you agree with me? Yes. What? That can't be. You can't agree with me. I mean, this guy wanted to fight. He was disappointed that Jesus agreed with him. And so what is he going to do in this moment? Well, he goes in for round two. And this is a big mistake. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Uh, Jesus, uh, let's talk about who my neighbor is once here. Uh, I mean, who do I technically need to love? Because there is a lot of debate among us scholars, and there's a lot of discrepancies here about this term neighbor. So what what do you mean when you use the term neighbor? Now, 
I, I've read this story before. I'm familiar with this story, and I'm sure that many of you are as well. And at this point, it would be so easy to just kind of move on to the good part of the story. But I find myself being drawn back to something that we have just read. And I find myself asking a question that I've never really asked before. Here's the question. Why does someone who is right feel a need to justify himself? I mean, this guy was right. So why would someone who is biblically accurate feel personally defensive? Well, I think that the answer is that he that you can know a lot of biblical truth, but yet not personally live out that biblical truth. You can know what Jesus says and yet live in a way that opposes him, which strikes me uh, to, to be kind of odd and, and even kind of sends a chill up my bones because... Here is a guy who gets defensive when Jesus calls him to act on what it is that he agrees with Jesus about. He gets defensive because he is not doing the thing that he knows he should be doing. And Jesus had affirmed this man. He had said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God, love your neighbor, and you will live. And by the way, the opposite is also true. Don't do this and you won't live. And in these days of racial tension and division, it has struck me that Jesus doesn't care so much uh, just about the fact that we agree with him on particular things if we don't actually act out on what we know. Uh, The temptation can be that we can spend all of this time talking about what it is that we believe to be biblically accurate, but we never do anything about what it is that we believe. Yes, we want to be biblically accurate. Yes, we must be biblically accurate. But that should also lead us then to action. And if all we do is debate back and forth over these things, then we have missed the whole point. Racism is wrong. We agree with God about that. But what are we going to do? What action are we going to take? You say, well, you know, I, I need to love my neighbor regardless of their cultural background, regardless of their physical features, regardless of their skin color. And all of heaven says, agreed. Now, what are you going to do about that? The Bible says that we are supposed to be a people of justice. So what are we going to do about that? We are called to care for those who are mistreated mistreated and taken advantage of for, for those who have uh, don't have a voice. Uh, so what are we going to do about that? It struck me here as I was reading this passage again that we can agree about what the Bible says, but that, 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 that has very little value if we don't uh, take any action, if it doesn't lead us to act on this. We need to act on what it is we know to be biblically true. Now, I think that this was the perfect moment for this guy to turn and repent. I think this was the perfect moment for him to say to Jesus, you know what, I haven't lived out the things that I say that I believe. I haven't acted on what it is that I know. And if he would have done that, he would have experienced complete and free forgiveness. But instead, he looked for a way to justify himself. Instead of turning and repenting, he decided to defend himself. 
And I think that that is a very dangerous thing to do. It's a a danger that we can fall into as well today. That that we need to take a hard look in the mirror at ourselves and we need to ask the question, are, are there ways in my life right now where I am not acting on what it is I know to be true, particularly when it comes to loving my neighbors? My fear at times is that we are in danger of being like this expert in the law. Wanting to defend ourselves rather than acting on what it is that we know to be biblically true. As we move on in the story here, Jesus graciously answers this question. This question about who his neighbor is by giving this very poignant picture about what it looks like to live out the law of love. Uh, Picking it up there in verse 30, here's what we read. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, now Jesus does not identify this man here, but as you continue to read on in the story, we discover that this man was a Jewish man. He, He was of Jewish descent, Jewish heritage, Jewish ethnicity. And Jesus doesn't tell us why he's taking this trip from Jerusalem down to Jericho, whether it was a business trip or pleasure, whether he was running an errand for his family, or whether it was some kind of religious pilgrimage. But what we do know is that this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was incredibly dangerous. This road was unbelievably steep. On the course of this 18-mile walk, you would, descend eight, uh, you would descend a half a mile in elevation. And this road was steep. It had a steep incline. And there were these meandering paths that, that had these blind curves everywhere that you turned. And, and so there, was, there, there were cliffs on one side. And there were these jagged rock formations on the other side. And we actually have a picture of what this road uh, was probably like. And so you could just kind of imagine this here. But this was a dangerous, treacherous path to travel on. And it became a great spot for robbers and bandits to ambush their targets. They would hide in the rocks. They would come out and ambush a person who was walking by. And then they would turn around and run out into the desert to escape without a trace. Now, when Jesus would have started telling this story about this man traveling on this dangerous road, his hearers, they would have been immediately thinking, you know what, this is not going to end well at all. And they were right, because this guy is going to meet an incredibly unfortunate fate. These robbers jump him, they strip him of everything that he has, including his clothes. But but that wasn't all, They, they weren't done with him. For good measure, they beat this guy and beat this guy and beat this guy to a bloody pulp and they leave him there on the side of the road, bleeding, broken, and alone to die. Verse 31, Jesus says, Now by chance, a a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now Jesus' hearers are surprised. I mean, they weren't surprised that this man was ambushed and left to die there on the side of the road. But now this priest walks by and he doesn't even help this man? There's no way that that would happen. You've got to be kidding me. He knows better than that. 
priest was a Jewish man who worked at the temple. He would have understood the scriptures. He would have taught the scriptures to the people of God. And more than that, the priest was the person who represented God to the people and the people to God. If God had something that he wanted to say to the people, you would expect that it was going to come through one of his priests. And if the people had a sacrifice to offer to the Lord, the priest was the one who would carry out that sacrifice. The priest was God's representative to the people and for the people. Jesus says that this priest, this uh, representative of God, sees the, the beaten, bloody, broken man in his path, And he goes out of his way to cross the road and avoid him and continue on his journey. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A Levite was a Jewish man who worked at the temple to assist the priest in his responsibilities to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. And this crowd would have been shocked. There is no way you're telling us that a priest and his assistant, a Levite, saw a man broken and bleeding along the side of the road all alone, and both of them went out of their way in order to avoid him. That is unbelievable. That, 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 there's just no way that that happened. They know better. And, and you can just feel Jesus making his point here. That it does not matter what you know if you do not act on it. Well, this story is about to escalate as Jesus continues on in verse 33. He says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. At this point, the crowd is just baffled. I mean, this can't be. You're telling us that our priests and our Levites, they did not stop, but this Samaritan did? Come on, Jesus. There's no way that this is a real story. This is just made-up lies. This is just a made-up story. Come on. It's not real. Many of you know the truth about the very real hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews called the Samaritans dogs. They called them half-breeds. And they treated them that way with every opportunity that they possibly could. They mistreated them all of the time. The Jews would walk three extra days around the Samaritan territory just so that they could avoid being in contact with them. The Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. And so when Jesus said that a Samaritan came by, you would expect that he, that the next thing that you would be reading about is that this guy would finish off the man who is there on the side of the road. I, I'm just going to get you back for all the years that your people have hurt my people, for all the things that you have said, for all the things that have been done. Listen, I, 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 I'm telling you, you're getting what it is that you deserved, and I'm going to finish you off here. The crowd would have expected that to happen But that's not what Jesus says happened. This crowd would have been shocked by the turn of events here. Verse 34. He, the Samaritan, went went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. What's incredible here is that Jesus says that this Samaritan man enters into this situation. He does what he can to help this hurting man, and he refuses to walk away until he knows that things are better for him. Verse 36, Jesus turns back to this expert in the law, and he asks him this question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the one who fell among the robbers? He, the expert in the law, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. The point that Jesus is making here is that the good neighbor is the one who enters into the life of the hurting person who is in the path in front of them and they ensure that life ends up a little bit better for that person. Now, there are a few things here about this story that have stuck with me and struck me as I read through this again. And I just want to point some of these out to you as well. The first thing it just has to do with the priest. The priest. As I reread this story and reflected on this very re- the very real racial tensions and divisions that we have experienced in our world today, I can't help but to think that we are the priest. That, that, that the church of Jesus Christ is the priest in this story. We are a holy nation. We are a people belonging to God. We are a royal priesthood who are called upon to be God's representatives to people and for people. We are called to paint a picture of what Jesus is like in this world around us. But what I I think is important for us, particularly when it comes to this issue of racial divisions and hurt and pain that's being experienced in this world, is that we don't just turn our heads away and turn a blind eye and and say things like, oh, oh, well, you know what, Um, I... It doesn't really impact me. I mean, I'm just going to move to the other side of the street and just keep right on walking. I I think that part of what we are experiencing in our our world today is that the people of God need to act like the people of God and, and that we need to represent God to those who are hurting and discouraged and overwhelmed by the things of this life. Part of what I think Jesus is saying to the crowd in his day to the disciples, to the expert in the law here, and even to us, is don't turn a blind eye. There are those who are hurting and who are in pain, those who have been mistreated and beaten down right in front of you. Represent me to them. The second thing that I notice in this story is a a short phrase that's repeated several times throughout. I, I don't know if you notice this, but... Each of these men in the story had the same thing happen to them. We read this phrase about each of these men. And when he saw. When he saw. And I think that that's important. That there's an important question for us to ask here is. What are these guys going to do when they see this hurting man that's in front of them? It's not like there is a record that is going around about what it is that they didn't see, what it is that they didn't know about particular things that had happened, but rather it is telling us about what action they took or didn't take once they did see. 
when he saw the man, when he saw the man, imagine Jesus saying this to us. And as the church walked down the road, there were people writhing in pain. Those who were beaten up and walked all over and mistreated. And the church saw. The question is, what are we going to do when we see pain and hurt and we hear the cries? Jesus says, represent your God. Enter in, be a neighbor, act on the biblical truth that you know. And so the question is, well, how? How do we do that? What would God's word say to us about this? How do we act on the biblical truth that we know? Well, I know that this is challenging and that there are lots of things that we could talk about from this passage here in Luke chapter 10 this morning. But I want us to focus in on one particular thing here today. And that just has to do with compassion. I think that's a good starting point for us. Compassion. When the Samaritans saw the Jewish man in agony, broken, bleeding, and all alone on the road, Jesus said that he had compassion on him. And this is such a powerful thing. The word compassion here is not some kind of patronizing term where you just say, oh, you poor thing. No, this is a gut-wrenching, emotional word that, that puts itself in the place of the person who is in pain and says, wow. I mean, in a different set of circumstances, that could be me. Compassion is saying, what if that were me? It's the ability of putting yourself in the person's experience and to ask the question, well, what would it feel like if I were going through what you're going through right now? What would that be like? What would I want in that particular situation if that was happening to me? Compassion. Compassion doesn't start by trying to figure out why this guy was there in the first place. Compassion doesn't start by saying, well, you know what? He shouldn't have even been walking down this road all alone. I mean, doesn't he realize just that this is a very dangerous, dangerous place to be? Uh, Listen, I heard that someone actually warned him not to go down the path, not to go down this road. And yet he did it anyway. What's he thinking? What's he doing? Compassion does not start there. Compassion says, what if that was my son? What if that was my sibling? What if that was me in the path? Compassion puts yourself in that person's shoes. And I I think about this as a parent. Even if one of my sons had a history of making bad decisions, that would not lessen my pain in seeing one of them laying there beaten up and barely hanging on to life. I would still be grieved in that moment. And I think that Jesus would tell us, start with compassion. Because if we don't start with compassion, we are going to struggle to represent God in the way that he has called us to represent him. At times, instead of compassion, we can be tempted to start in other places. We start in places like denial or downplaying. I mean, sure, he said that he was beaten up and robbed, but I mean, can we really trust what it is that he's saying? Uh, Do we really believe that that's true? I mean, is there real evidence showing that that's actually what happened? And so we just cross the street and we keep right on going. 
You know, I don't see the problem. I, I, I hear a lot of whining and complaining, but seriously, what's the big deal? It seems to me like this guy just wants some attention. I mean, he, he just wants somebody to feel bad for him. It, it seems to me like he has the problem, not me. And we just keep right on walking. And Jesus would tell us to start with compassion. If we as the church are going to represent God here in this place, then we need to live out the biblical truths that we know to be true. Start with compassion. You might be saying, well, Jason, I mean, I disagree with that. I don't think that God would say that we should start with compassion. But this is what we're told about God in John 3.16. That he so loved the world that he gave his only son. It doesn't say that he first evaluated the world, that he incriminated the world, that he accused the world, that he denied that the world was broken. No, he so loved the world that he gave his only son. And aren't you glad that he didn't start with your background? Aren't you glad that he didn't start with your rap sheet and all the reasons why he shouldn't love you? But instead he entered into this broken and messed up world. He entered into your brokenness to bring healing in the midst of pain, to bring hope where there is no hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not only did he put himself in our shoes, but he took on our very flesh in order to show compassion. He wasn't a sinner, but he became sin for us. He didn't do anything wrong, and yet he went to the cross to pay for our guilt. And I believe that we represent him when we show compassion, when we enter into the painful things that others are experiencing. Uh, Honestly, over the last number of months, some of the best conversations, some of the most helpful things for me has been being able to listen and hear people from different backgrounds than my background. People who are African Americans or Asians or some Hispanics. And, and I want to understand the very real pain. Why is it there? What's going on? What have you been through? What is it like to be a minority in America these days? What is it like to be treated as if you don't belong and as if you don't matter? I want to enter into those situations to enter into people's lives, to walk alongside and to show compassion. I want to know what it's like to work in law enforcement, to hear people chanting, defund the police, to have people spit on you and mock you and call you names because of the job that you have. And along with all of this, Some of the most encouraging things for me personally has been when people from different backgrounds than mine, from other races, other ethnicities have said to me, listen, I want to understand what you're going through right now as a white person. What is it like to be lumped together as a group? What is that like? Because entering in is not just for one race and not for another. It's for all of us. But the question always begins with who is on the side of the road who has been beaten and is bloody and is broken. We don't want to just be a group of people who know the truth and who believe the Bible. But we want to be a people who put the truth into action. We want to be a people who start with compassion. Let's pray.